This podcast is made possible by the support of our friends at Royal and Langnickel Brush. They've been making brushes for over 70 years and are dedicated to serving professional makeup artists around the globe. By supporting them, you're supporting this podcast. Check them out at royalbrush.com. Hi, I'm publisher Michael Key. Welcome to the Makeup Artist Magazine podcast, a show where we have candid conversations with the leaders of the pro makeup world about their art and the pain and glory of working in a creative industry. This episode is with makeup artist Vivian Baker, whose credits include Avengers Endgame, Jurassic World, Oz the Great and Powerful, and Bombshell. She's been a personal makeup artist to Chris Pratt, Blake Lively, Hilary Swank, and Bryce Howard. And we are here at IMATS Toronto, but we've taken the time because the opportunity, because Vivian is with us. Vivian, thanks for coming and being doing our podcast. Oh, thank you for asking. I love it. I love Toronto, so and I'm glad we get the chance to catch up because we never do. We're always both so busy, so this is very special. Yeah, we are nomads. We're on the move, and so it's great when our paths intersect, and so we had to push time and space aside to, to be able to sit and have a chat. I do appreciate you doing it because I, I consider uh, I'm almost getting ahead of myself, but it's been something to watch you. I think that you are a thought leader. I've watched you over the years, and you've become to a place where people uh, really respect you. They listen to you, and you're leading because they're following. If they're, if they're following, then, then therefore you are a leader to some degree. People care what you say. I see what you write on Facebook. I see what you do on your videos and see what you do in person. So it, it's really cool. You've, you're at a, from my perspective, you're in a very good place in your career. Well, I've certainly been blessed. I've had some really, really great opportunities and you know, the thing with an opportunity is you have to seize it and you have to be ready for it. So um, I guess that means I've done a lot of things afraid, right? Yeah. Well, you got a lot of life experience to go with us to get to the place where you are. It didn't start that way. No. Nobody starts. At no one this starts place. at the top. No. <laughs> it is that. But uh, usually what I do is I talk with somebody about how they got started. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I'm going to do it a little different today. I want to know, why does somebody hire Vivian Baker? Ooh, I don't. I can say that I'm not sure why. But I can tell you what my clients have said to me. Good. That way. Um, I have a fairly wide range of abilities for makeup artists. Things are changing now, but especially back in when I first started, my range was started in beauty and fashion. So I have a very fashion sense to me, not just beauty makeup, but a fashion sense to me. And then um, I learned to do prosthetics to which I was self-taught. And I feel like in a way, maybe pioneered some of those things very loosely like gelatin. Um, I was the very first and like, I don't know of anybody else. So if you out there and you were a dermplast user from Nick Dudman back in the day, then you can let me know. But from what I understood at the time, I was one of the only ones in America who knew how to use that material. And um, I was 
did a lot of prosthetics for women. It was always the need to do it, and foam just wasn't a really good option. It just didn't fit where foam was, especially then, and what women needed. It just was not a very good option for them. And I was always wanting to create the characters, so um, pioneering gelatin a lot on my own, and then, you know, silicone is a different beast as well. And I just, so I wasn't a part of the group. I mean, the great prosthetic artists that I know now, that I now can count as my colleagues and many as my friends, I did not have in the beginning. And so I was very much alone. And I figured a lot about myself by trial and error. Of course, you can't trial and error on a movie too much, but mm -hmm. I do a lot on my own and then I take a great risk for the film to figure out how to make it work. That is interesting. I didn't know that you'd worked with gelatin appliances. Yeah. So anyway, I have a wide range. And then I think that my clients, my personal clients, tend to say to me mm -hmm. that I like this statement. I hope it's true because I like it. But it was a quote from a couple of my clients that no one creates a character like me. The hmm. very personal and intimate relationship. And that character does not have to be massively big creating a great amount of prosthetics but it is nonetheless a character, a departure somewhere from where they are into finding who it is. And so it's very personal and intimate with them and within the makeup. So those are the things. And so I hope those are the reasons why they hire me because I like those reasons. <laughs> I think a lot of times people get hired is because they have created a confidence that someone, I mean, that's usually what it is, a producer, a director, yeah. the, the talent, whoever's person's doing the hiring, they want someone who's gonna get the job done. But it's, it's, they don't want just someone to do the job. They also want to feel good about the job being done. They want someone who's not gonna be a pain in the ass and cause headaches. Right. They want someone who solves problems, not create them. Right. And I would bet if I could sit here with the people that have hired you, they probably would say some of those attributes about you, that you are solving problems. And, you know, as the producer, if they don't have to think about it, if right. they can just go, it's going to get done, or if they bring it to you and, and they know it's going to get done, it's going to get done on time, it's going to get right, and it's also going to be on budget. All the things, those parameters that, that people are thinking about, those come into that. And I think, you know, when it comes to the, that's one thing that I think is really neat about you because you're, you're a department head artist, but sometimes you're also the personal, and then sometimes you're doing prosthetics. It's it's a broad range. I would say the same thing for Jeff Don or Absolutely. there's other artists who I uh, get on well. That's probably one of the reasons why we we get yeah. on so well now, is because it's someone who can tell a story. Uh, actually, one of the things I think of a motion picture makeup artist is someone who has to simulate everything in the human experience and then some. Yeah. And that seems to be what you do. You do whatever the role seems to bring you. Same thing with Bill Corso, our friend Bill, who's yeah. much the same way, same way. Yes, he is. Very great artist. I've had the joy of working with him and learning a lot. He was one of the first that I worked enough with. And it's amazing, without teaching you anything, you do garner, there is osmosis in learning. You know, they don't have to tell you anything and you don't necessarily have to see it sometimes, but there is the osmosis. I learned more about Photoshop and I never got to see him really. I just saw him working on it and he never really, I think he told me one thing, but it is amazing. And now Photoshop's changed so much, I don't even know that I could keep up with it. But you're right, there is, um, I, I did not set out with this is what I do. It seems that 
the need of the film or the character is where is where I fit what I need to do. I mean, almost to the point that if someone were to say to me, do a makeup, I really don't think I would know what to do. If you were to say, hey, just do my makeup, I'd be lost. I'd, can you give me a script then I can figure out what to do on your face? I don't know that I could do it anymore because I have lived in that world of exploring who that person is, how it's gonna work on the screen, who's gonna work with that, and then of course you have to fit all the producers' requirements in it with time and money, and then you have to fit the director's requirements in it with that, and, and then the AD's requirements. So it is kind of, it is fun, because it's a lot. I don't know if you remember this. I came and worked with you on a TV show many years ago. I do remember. And I think it was a TV show. Mm -hmm. And you, it was um, a scene where a lot of people had been burned, including the, the fire responders and yeah. the people in there for that. You, I think Steve Abrams was Steve Steve, Steve. Steve Anderson. Steve Anderson. There we go. I had the right Steve Wright. Yeah, Steve Anderson was my key at the time. And I was artist. very impressed by the attention to detail that you had for that scene. How much forethought had gone into it? How much design had gone into that? Quite a bit for a television show and a scene that probably went by fairly quickly too that was on that but I was that was neat that's probably the one time I remember actually working with you but uh, very organized very on it very in the moment and on mission for that scene and making it happen thank you I do remember you being there and we had a lot of great makeup artists there and I remember your work it was really good yeah oh, thank you so you've been one of the things is I think it's been cool is some of the projects that come to mind when I thought of you is, was Oz great and powerful because oh, yeah. man what a a beast of a film that was to do it was and I have to say it we had the great joy of working a bit like what old Hollywood would have been like and um, you know I, I feel like I happened to make some really good decisions at the time I had some good advice from some friends uh, handling something that big and we had great producers who were willing to support us you know, one of the best things I did was Leonard Engelman, I believe he came out of retirement for a short amount of time to run the first segment of background because there was so much facial hair and we were in Michigan and of course studio never wants to bring that many people in. So we taught as many people there and a, a handful of them made the cut to do the work and then we brought everybody else in from um, mostly Los Angeles to do the work but the studio was very happy that we tried to use local people and the ones and of those I think there was only six that made the cut most of them have gone off to be really great makeup artists because they worked a whole movie with like Academy Award winners I mean there were so many gold statues down our background aisles it was crazy you know what I mean? We're not even talking first team traders. We're talking just the background. We'd have 60 of the best makeup artists in the world down there. So it was a great opportunity for everyone who worked on it. That's a special kind of film when you get that range of work going on. And I think it was an incredible opportunity for those Michigan makeup artists or anybody that was locals to be able to be there and to use your word osmosis to be around such uh, veteran talent and be able to see that there's not that many people in the world that really could have, uh, could accomplish that so for them to be there is awesome it and was it's special it's like it's one of those fairy tale things it's, i think probably i would think you know what never was on step foot on the set but i think it's one of those kind of films where it's almost a greater thing to have worked on it to, than it is to watch it 
because of what was happening there. It was, you know what, I have to say, Howard Berger ran the prosthetic part of it and I ran the non-prosthetic part of it. But the non-prosthetic part of it was very stylized and was facial hair. 90% of all background men had facial hair. So, and it was all stylized facial hair. And I have to credit, I mean, Sam Raimi has a way that he likes to work and his producer, Grant Curtis, as well. And, and Grant is fantastic. So we had the proper amount of prep, but we started by building that studio. Howard and I flew in and just saw a blank space. And then Howard got busy and he would come in much after me. And we told him what we wanted and I got there and nothing was done. So I hired the contractor and I worked with them physically to build the space. Um, to build the makeup stations out that we needed for the first team and where that was going to be and how the water was going to be distributed, you know, and where it was going to be from here and how they would move around and where the background areas were. And I literally have these great images of, you know, a little bit then bigger and bigger and bigger until we would have 60 makeup artists and two, you know, 400 background. But they so ordered it all that we could design. I got to personally design each background person. I can't even imagine you know doing that like the last film i did i hired a background supervisor and said you know what you've done a good job if you never hear from me again and that's and that was exactly what that show was about but this one man every background person and howard and i to this day we will tell you that we see the background people they're on planes we run into them it is still a family Mm -hmm. all of those people are still a family they still contact me in some ways through social media it was a really, really amazing time. And I, I don't know that you can just create that. We had a, we had a moment that was awesome. Well, it's a special project. Uh, I wish I could have come out and played on that one. Like, well, yeah, it. why didn't you? I was probably busy I think we doing called something. everyone, so I'm sure we called you. That's a, but that's a cool one. It's a little bit like when, going back, shouldn't go too much in this because it's not your career. But at the same <laughs> time, they shot Star Trek Six Undiscovered Country. They also shot Hook. Okay, yeah. And Hook, they were doing, had all pulled out all the old timers to lay all those beards and do all that. And oh, I would love to have been there for that, but I was over on Star Trek Six. And so, you know, oh. you get two great things to choose from. Two great things to yeah. choose from. Well, I kind of switched things up. We, we taught everyone with spirit gum the good old fashioned way. And then I came in right before we started filming, and I was like, so, Leonard, we're going to do everything with Super Baldies. And my, I remember my whole team looked at me like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> and we pioneered Super Baldies, because, and it was amazing. It was really amazing. The cast was more comfortable. Everyone figured out. Because you have to figure out also during lunch breaks, how are you going to do that? We have these big stylists saying, how are we going to do it? What's it going to take to clean it? How are you going to get it back on? And it really became our friend. But it was a last-minute decision of mine that was pretty bold and brave, but in the end would be one of the best decisions that I had made because of the ease of um, it could stay on. We were not constantly chasing it. It stayed on and it moved. So to clarify, was the Super Baldies just for laid hair but all for lace pieces as well? We, I had, almost everything was a lace piece because we could make them stylized so it worked. With the early part, we had some that was hand laid. Um, but I had several ventilators on. At one point, I would bring ventilators in. I got a lot of stock from John Blake, and we altered it. And then I brought in several ventilators during some other parts, and we would add colors. We would, they would dye different colors of hair, and I would design with colors interweaved into the hair for the men. And um, some with their own hair, and we would carve it out. 
there wasn't a ton of hand laying. There was a little bit where we needed it to be, but I managed to get everything that way, and it was all done with Super Bowl days. And what was cool is we learned that we could go with a little stiffer lace so that we didn't fault that the pieces wouldn't stretch out as much because it was every day, mm-hmm. hours and hours, you wearing the pieces every day. And they would hold because the Super Baldies would go right over the lace and you could paint it. So it diffused the lace from the camera. And Sam, if you don't know anything, I mean, if you've ever worked with Sam Raimi, any background person is up to be having a speaking line at any given moment. So there's no such thing as deep background in a Sam Raimi movie. Everyone is a principal, and he will just, out of the clear blue sky, rock right up to them. And Sam checks everyone before they go to set. Nice. I have pictures of Sam walking through, and me and Sam walking through every background person while he looked at every piece on them. Did you guys uh, do any overlay onto the lace, or did you just We didn't have to because we didn't have, because of the stylized look of it, Mm -hmm. we didn't have, it wasn't too scruffy. The scruffy stuff we did was of only a short amount of time, and it was all black and white. But when we got into the other part, because it was stylized, we weren't having to do that. We could do those strong cut lines. But because I had ventilators on, we created it. You know, so we had it, it was actually really good. And then the addition of the baldies allowed us to kill whatever lace was there. So we didn't have to cut it back mm-hmm. all the way. It was a really nice move. And then you could just paint over it. So, like, if there were, especially if you had really dark skin and the lace, you know, maybe a little too pale for them, we did dye the lace. But sometimes you would see a different, you know, the baldies would go right on the edge of the lace a touch of illustrator on it and it was gone and you would never see it the rest of the day put a cross light on it you would never see it nice what about the removal process super easy and the cleaning the cleaning was something that i have to contribute my team to learning they mastered the cleaning process it was amazing my team they you know like you always they learned the kind of towel the paper towel the setup towel exactly the glisten that it needed to go in and what was great about it is they would take all the pieces off there was a very big organization labeling way that things went on and we, then they all knew it all the pieces would go in and then they'd clean everybody up 244 was really the best to clean everybody up with to take it off and then the entire background would leave and the pieces would be sitting in the alcohol and it was just the right amount of alcohol on it that all of the super bodies would go right into the, the tissue and would literally pluck the piece out and it was clean. We never had to beat the pieces so mm. the lace was never destroyed. Yes, yeah, so let me understand that. So you've got a paper towel that's underneath that. How's the alcohol getting so onto a it? Tray a tray with okay. a paper towel, alcohol, just to the glisten, just so that... And so you didn't destroy the shape of it too much. You'd still have to prep it again. But you didn't have to totally destroy the shape because some of these shapes are quite elaborate. They were very, very elaborate. It would take a bit to create them the first time. So you would stick it just so that the lace was immersed. In about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, just sitting in the alcohol, you'd pull the piece up. It was clean. It seems like everybody's getting away from using like how we originally were taught where it was stiff brushes right. to be able to get the spirit gum out of that. And, and well, of course, that's hard on the lace. Resin, right. It's a resin. It would stick in and, you know, and sometimes it would leave white marks and stuff. And this would just leave it clean. After the first application, it just seemed to go on even better. And my team learned how to do that. I mean, they had it down and then everyone's pieces would go back up with their photo i mean it was we had quite an elaborate system and it was just 
beautiful. It was really beautiful. And I have to say, I had a really, really amazing team. Those artists pulled together. They were an inspiration to everyone. Background, it was like a family. It was a really great family there. I just had a, a flashback. It's a few years ago for this show because we're, we're once again we're here at IMATS Toronto, a contingent from uh, from the show your show came out to IMATS Toronto that oh, were from uh, Michigan. I just had a flashback, and it was Howard. Yeah. I think it was Connor McCullough. Yeah, uh, Jonah Levy. I think it was with you guys on that. Yeah. There was a there good, was a bunch. A good least half dozen that showed up to IMATS Toronto from Michigan. I remember that because I remember rearranging stuff so that the team could go, so that different people could do it, and they were taking lists of what everyone wanted them to buy. So I nice. remember, you know, different people would have, I'm going to get this for you, and I remember money changing hands and me going, okay, so you're going to be able to be off, so you're going to do this. I remember rearranging the schedule so that the teams could go. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for doing that because it was uh, it was it was wonderful to have them out. That's been well, a little while. When did you get? What year did you guys do that movie? I can try to remember. Well, must have been yeah, like pull out that IMDb Pro and find or, out for us. I don't remember. I terrible with years. Uh, I would never. I'm never going to be that old lady who goes back in nineteen whatever. I'll be like, uh, I have no clue when it was. I'm remembering because of where we were because when we used to have the show out at the Congress Center near the Toronto Airport. It says it's 2013. Oh, 13. Okay. God, not that long ago. Yeah. Feels like decades. Okay. <laughs> well, it was a bit, but ah, so, so cool. I'd forgotten that Leonard was on that. I remember him telling me about it now. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I had a great team. Yeah. So blessed. You did. It was, that was a who's who of makeup working on that. It was a who's who of makeup for sure. And we had to have a lot of people come in, you know, and then they'd leave. That so was a great film. Too bad you didn't see much of that work on the screen. <laughs> I know. There's been a lot of conversations about that. It's like, ah, it is too bad when, when you don't yeah. see it. At the time, I, I wasn't in the Academy yet, and I had one of the Academy makeup artists come to me and said, you know what, we all really wanted to vote because we knew the work that had gone in on Oz from both your team and Howard's team, and we all really wanted to vote for it, but the sad news is that they didn't really show any of it in the movie. <laughs> and it was so that. true. <laughs> so, you know, I mean... It happens all the time. There's lots of great work done out there that just doesn't set itself up for awards. But it doesn't mean there isn't great work. And the best thing about most of the people who are about the award, we all know that. You know, we're not that judgmental about anything. We know that some some go, some don't. You know what I mean? It's just what it is. Yep, it, it is, you know, some years. And actually, there's years, well, we could have a whole talk just about the Academy process and, like, having a film. It's a really great film, but it happens to be a year when there's, like, something. Uh, it, it, the other time it would win, but okay. But now it's up against a bunch of other things. Yeah. And yeah, I know. And it's got a behemoth film that's going to be up. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like having a, um, oh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Darkest Hour. You just yeah. knew that was just going to be such a special film, and you, when you're going up against that at that time, that I felt that way for Matthew Mungle actually when he had the Ghost of Mississippi. He did that really oh, lovely. Yeah. Talking about gelatin, he did gelatin appliances on James Woods. Oh yeah. For that, did a beautiful age makeup and gelatin appliances in the South, which was very ambitious. Any other year, it probably would have won. But I think that's when Coming to America was up. Oh, so you just, yeah. 
Yeah, Rick Baker's up there with Eddie Murphy and these amazing... You're just going... Well, you know, what I do have to credit the Academy, at least the makeup and hair portion of the Academy, they really try. Yes, they do. I mean, if you're in the meetings, they really try to make sure that it's not just the big grand makeups that are about there. And they, you know, and, and I think it's our branch only that works the way we work to give, I mean, we narrow it down before it goes up for the main vote, right? So, I mean, at some point it will become a popularity contest, but the members of the Academy and the executive board go to great lengths to make sure that it is as fair and honest and no one is overlooked. Absolutely agree. Most people don't understand. They have no idea. They think that it's something. They really don't. Yeah. You, get in the, you get in there and you get to know these people, and that is not what's happening. Leonard has done a great job in educating, I think, our tribe yes. to understand the level of integrity that's being done. Actually, speaking of that, uh, we have a whole new deal. We have a major, major change that's in, as far as the number of films I that know. can be nominated for an Oscar for makeup and hair, and also the number of people that can be on the ticket. Is it not? That's oh, changed. They changed well? the number on the ticket. I think so. I hope, hopefully, I'm not. Uh, I'm not wrong on that. Okay. But well, that's good. So it's up to five now that can be nominated, right? Oh. Which is pretty cool. But I didn't know they changed the number on the ticket. I thought it was still th- two where you could fight for the third. I don't yeah. know if it's any different than that or not. Well, we'll see. We'll Sorry, see. guys. Know. So don't have, check it out. Yeah, <laughs> we're on into that. But uh, one thing I also wanted to talk about is that. Um, a little bit about your working relationship with Chris Pratt. Not, um, I never want someone to talk about really about that person because that's that's sacred and, and mm-hmm. that's between you and, and your and your client. But more so about the kind of the working relationship of doing someone who's a personal. Is, have you been really much for a personal for anybody else? I have. I've been a personal to quite Remind a few me. people. Um, Ryan Reynolds as well. Um, I, I mean, yes, Bill has done Deadpool, but I worked with Ryan before that. I just finished a couple of films with him, and um, he's amazing. And, of course, I've worked with Chris Pratt, and then there was a time that I was working with Tom Hanks, and then I wasn't available, which is, you know, I still beat myself up forever that. Sometimes you not being available is okay, and sometimes when you're not available, they tend to move on. So it's what it is. Um, and then I have girls. I work with uh, Bryce Ellis Howard quite a bit. Um, Blake Lively and Blake and Ryan did not come as a package deal for me I knew them separately I mean I worked with them together but I knew them separately before they were married so I've had a number of people Michelle Williams that have that I have worked with as a personal and stuff and I, I do quite like it and um, and I also like department heading I forgot that I like department heading until um, I just did this movie called um, was oh bombshell and i department headed that after seems you know some time and i was like you know what i forgot i really loved a department head <laughs> so. no i can see where you would be a very good department head you're talking about coming in there and orchestrating all these things with contractors and doing all this and i can think of that's why you're getting hired because they know that you're going to come in there and make it happen you're not going to throw up your hands and go oh well you know. well you know my husband, who happens to be in this room, Michael Stalas, who um, his company is the Makeup Light and Cases for Visual Arts, he's he's taught me a lot. I mean, I have to say, I'm a woman in the business that 
and I feel very, I feel like I'm a very respected woman in the business, but my husband and the relationship that I have with my husband, he's helped me a lot to know how to be in a man's world, hmm. how to be a woman in a man's world and not lose my power, but to gain it. You know, I mean, you know, as a makeup artist, no matter where you are, we're stuck right there between the leading person, the director and the producer. There's not a more powerful place that hmm. we have a foot in each camp and they're all looking at us to be on their side. It's not, you know what I mean? And it's tough. And my husband has really been so helpful to teach me strength and dignity and how to handle those things. And I have to really attribute a lot of that to him or all of it actually. <laughs> which is a nice, that's a nice homage to what, and to give credit where credit is due, which is good. But also too, it reminds me, you're originally out of Atlanta, mm -hmm. right? I am. See, that's that's a very southern thing that you just did there. You're talking about dignity and talking about that. It's it, there's that. Um, I've had a few people that have worked for me over the years. I'm thinking of one gal, Mich Michelle. She would always tell me, "Well, from the south, we blah blah blah." And so, well, I used to live in Texas. I was further south than you. So, well, that's not the south. And when I was further south, she goes, "No, that's not the south." But she would always <laughs> have a very important distinction about southern culture. But actually, there's this other part of the South that can be very dignified and and uh, very classy. Well, I have an opinion. I mean, from growing up in Atlanta and being my place, and I became a makeup artist there, but I never knew that the job existed. So I just started telling everyone I was a makeup artist, and I started doing model shoots. And the next thing I knew, you know, one thing led to another. And, I mean, I... I mean, I worked for it, but I don't really know how it happened. You know what I mean? Like, it was just truly a blessing, without a doubt. I really think that my mother was praying. <laughs> you know what I mean? So terrified of what would happen to me. But I came back to my city after being away for a while. And I never, I was a makeup artist there. When it came to film, I never did the film. I was actually a little bit annoyed. Why didn't anyone think to hire me on the movies here? And then I began to realize, well, how fortunate it was for me that I was considered a makeup artist and not an Atlanta makeup artist, or meaning just someone who was local there. And I think that was good for me to um, have a different vision of myself. But I came back to my city after being away, and I wasn't working as a local. I was being housed and stuff like that. And I got a chance to experience her. And I have to say, from growing up in the South, I saw, I saw my city, or my state, I guess, she had grown up, she'd come to terms with herself, you know what I mean? She's just such conflict over all the things that she, people were angry about or didn't like, and she finally decided that she liked who she was, that fried chicken was a part of her heritage, and that mashed potatoes were a part of their heritage, and, she, and she's always wanted to be a great city with great people, and that's who she is. I mean, you could, you could see it. There was a part of me for the first time that I identified with her where she had become. She'd come to terms with the things about herself that made her, and she wasn't going to be apologetic for it, and yet she was going to make him great. She wasn't going to just be in the backwoods grumbling about it. She was going to step up to the plate. And I love Atlanta for that, and I think she's an amazing city, and when I get to work there, I really am happy to be back. And even though she's home, She's a different home for me. It's not like home, home. But I think she's become a great city. And it's great for films that are there. She can accommodate all that needs to be. Right. It's really amazing what has been accomplished in Atlanta now to become a, an epicenter oh, yeah. for film and television. 
And it's one of the reasons why we're doing uh, an IMATS there. Yeah. It come November. be our second one. And it, I think I may be able to make that one this year. Yeah? I so. I, yeah. I would love for you to come and do that. I'd that would be fantastic. Be yeah. Be able to go home and do the IMATS. So Atlanta's great. She's always had a film base, though. I mean, she's been doing movies long before most people thought about it. And that was that was helpful, you know what I mean? So there was always a little bit of base. There was, a, there was always a first tier when the movie came in of good team, maybe a first and second tier, and then beyond that, they couldn't support it. But you've always had some, so it wasn't, you know, was good, the infrastructure for, for films to come in. Well, here things are still being very busy. I know there's, there's some political, you know, bumps in the road there, but I think that Atlanta will weather that storm and continue to be a great place to, to film. I do too. They've certainly put a lot into it. Much, much, much in there. When was the last time you shot there? I guess the last time I shot there was finishing up some stuff with Avengers. Um, I haven't been, yeah, I think I was finishing up the last bit um, with Avengers with doing Chris Pratt. There were so many makeup artists, it was amazing. <laughs> it was so epic with the amount of makeup artists in the base camp for that film. Um, I remember we came in to do something that had everyone there, and literally you could not take a photo of the makeup and hair base camp without a drone. <laughs> it was that big. It was nice. amazing. So it was like seeing everyone you get to see. And you know what? Everyone's so professional. You know, they're like, boom, go get your job done. And then talk. It's really great to be around that many professionals. We kind of went off another direction, but I'd like to circle back mm-hmm. uh, about you doing, you know, working as a personal. Mm-hmm. What do you like about that? What do you not like about that? And also, I'm going to tag one other mm-hmm. question onto it. How do you think that your approach to being a personal, what's your signature of that? Well, you know, I think I've spent most of my career being a personal or a department head. And the greatest advantages to being a personal are you usually get to walk with a little bit of power because you're hiding behind your personal. I mean, you know, if they have the power to bring you, then they usually have the power to say some stuff. So that's somewhat helpful. You know, it's also somewhat helpful that um, you don't get as harassed on time, or at least I haven't. You know, I usually hit my times. I'm pretty good on them, but they don't usually come in and try to manipulate an actor or actress of that status. So I think those are somewhat of the refreshing stuff. You're not feeling like you're always under that whip of time, although I have complete post-traumatic stress disorder for it, so I do it to myself. Um, (laughs) I think one of the misnomers about being a personal is that it's easy, and it absolutely is not. And one of the things is is it's just you. You know, if when you're running a department and you need to be like, okay, I've had enough, I need to take a break, your team can cover you while you go back into the trailer, regroup your head, do the things you need to do, go to the bathroom, make that phone call. I mean, I've never been a department head to hang in the trailer, but when you're a personal, there is nobody. It's you, it's only you, you were there in the morning, you're there in the evening, you know. I have been in a position to hire um, assistants to help, but it's never to with the makeup, it's always just the facilitation of Mm -hmm. 
getting everything put together, cleaning everything up. I mean, sometimes the hours are so late. By the time I get all the prosthetics off, I prep the prosthetics for the following day, and then I clean my brushes. They've well paid by having an assistant for me to not be in turnarounds and mm -hmm. double time that long. So I've been able to do that on those longs, which is super helpful. And so that way you have someone to help you do some stuff. But, for, but there's no one there to cover your actor. It's only you. And it's all you and everything is on you. And it's hard, but that creates a very intimate relationship in a way. I think that the most surprising things that I have discovered on both sides of that fence is how... And I've, I've worked with only two makeup artists who have allowed this to be different. But as a personal or as a department head, I always go in thinking that we're making the same picture and that we're working on the same screen and that what I am doing with the actor or actress that I'm doing is very relative to what the department head is doing or vice versa. If I'm the department head, what are you doing with your personal? Because we need to you know, map the work we're going to do, how sweaty or dirty they're going to be or what their skin tones are. And in this long career of mine, I've only had two makeup artists to be willing to work with me on either side of that fence. I know, it's shocking. Most really, of them I, were like, no, no, so no, you just do your that, thing, I'll do mine. You're talking about the department head, so how you're interacting. Either way, whether, whether I'm the department head speaking to the personal or whether... I'm oh. the personal speaking to the department head. Really? Yeah, most of them are like, you do your thing, I do mine. And I'm like, we're painting the same photo. We're painting the same screen. You know, how the, the, the skin tone, you know, like, and sometimes you work with an actor or actress and they have a vision. And part of the reason you're there is because they, there are things that they really want and they want someone that can do them. And... If you're working with the lead, that lead sets the tone for everybody else. So it is really interesting, you know, like now I want to be really, really sweaty and really, really dirty. And then the rest of the team is like barely put dirt on anyone. And it's like, I re you know, it's, it's challenging because you don't want anyone to look a fool, but you don't really have the power to make that work. And I find that really interesting. And I, I when you work with people who work with you, it's amazing. Because then you were working the film together. And I have a lot of my clients who want me to department head for that very reason. Most of the girls, please run this show because I don't want it to look, you know, these other things haven't been done right. And it doesn't mean that the makeup artists who are doing that were not good, but we are one team. We really are one team. No, that's it. I'm, uh, one, that's one thing you said that surprised me. I almost, is that usually an actress was wanting so much attention for you know to look after them that usually they haven't found that they want someone to really department head. I've seen that more with the guys than I have with the gals. So I'm really glad to hear that. That's cool. I think because they care about the film. I mean, I did several films with um, an actress, and she wanted and she told all the things that she's bringing me, and I could run their shows, and I, I couldn't because there was no time. Because I'm actually doing several with her, so I'm like can't run that show because we're starting another one <laughs> I can't, you know like it, but but her point was is she's like well, I just want to make sure that you have your input because you know if my if my character's arcing this way we've all, I've always seen them not like she wanted there to be a bit of telling the same story and I understood I mean we didn't do it that way but it was it was a compliment to me but not always physically possible to do so so you know I think there's a lot to be said for 
I mean, I can understand, you know, you go to department head of show, you think you're going to do the lead in the last minute, someone comes in with a personal, it can kind of feel like a slap in the face. But it's usually sometimes a breath of fresh air, it relieves you to do other stuff. And most of the time, it really isn't about who you are. You know, an actor or no. actress brings a personal because of who they are and what their needs are. And um, sometimes they just really don't know how to communicate what they want, and they found someone who knows. Mm-hmm. And they just don't know how to communicate it to someone else. It really isn't about who else is on the team. But I understand when I first started, I understand that sting. Well, I'm not approved. You don't like me. I understand the sting. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, the professionalism is to work as a team on the screen and that's where your cast every actor they don't miss much they really do see how well people work together and and the other thing is that there's always times that you can't do something and you'll have to refer someone and if they have seen a beautiful working relationship with another makeup artist working with you and you say hey remember so and so they ran the show i'm not available but they can do you then you're actor. so oh yeah they were great so it never serves us at all to ever put any type of gap mm-hmm. between the relationships would you speak to um the boundaries that you have to have with someone who's being a personal but an actor and it it's really easy, I think, especially for new people, to get caught up and think that they're actually being friends with the talent. <laughs> and there can be some very rude awakenings, and they can have some missteps to it. So I'd like to, if you could just speak to how do you set up those boundaries, and, and, and it would be great for our audience to be able to hear that, your approach to it. Well, you feel like family when you're there. And, and in a way, you are. And they really do love you. But they're going to move on to their life, and they're not going to think about you. That doesn't mean they don't love you, but you're not a part of their life. When they need you again, they're going to think about you. When someone comes up, they're going to think about it, and they're going to go, oh, I love them. They're so great. They've always been there. But they're not going to contact you. They're not going to call you. They're not your friends. You know what I mean? No. And, and you're there to do a job. You're there to do a job. It is work and it is a job. And if you're going to represent that actor or actress in any way, you're representing them to the director, you're representing them to the studio, you're representing them to the producer, you're representing them to the director of photography and every other crew member. You really do not have a lot of grace to be anything other than professional. And there just isn't. And it's, you know, it's an honor, and it's, and, but it's work. I mean, at the end of the day, it's work. I, if you really want to have a long career in it, you're not taking pictures, putting them on the Internet. <laughs> While no. I understand that our generation today, that's easier and okay with them, that actor is going to reach a place where their group is going to say, no, you know, they're going to, that stalker's going to come around or those people are going to be there and their little world's going to have to get really tight. The bigger star they are, the tighter that world has to get because there are too many people out there who want it and you have to not be a gap. Do you ever find the talent going over that boundary because they become emotionally a little, how can I say this? I'm not meaning any of this in a derogatory way with that, but I just think that actors as a breed, they, 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 they're into their emotions and they're into the moment and they're in a moment with you in a project. And there is this kind of 
show family thing that happens for a time. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find that they're making it more of a friend thing than they should be? Where that you're needing to kind of say thanks but no thanks? I think most at the level of actors and actresses that I work with, they've already pretty seasoned to come up to that level. But I do know what you're saying. I mean, there is there is an intimacy that is not, and I don't use the word intimacy in any sexual form because it is not the place. It is very much an intimacy of exposure of vulnerability Right. that is sacred. It's just sacred. You know, and and in the middle of that, there is no answer other than. I know this sounds so cliche, but love. Mm. And mm. meaning, I'm going to trust that you're going to do the right thing. I mean, I've been on stuff where the character has been so complicated for the actor, and they have just been not at their best. And you go back to your hotel or apartment at night, and you readjust, and you go. I'm going to love them today and you step in the next day and love it. Mm. You know, because they are portraying things that are so hard and then at the end of the film you realize how much that meant to them. But they were not at a place to be able to tell you. You know what I mean? Some people take on roles differently. You know, some people feel them and other people lack them. And it's just just different beasts along the way. So, you know, Sometimes you take a hit personally, but most of the time you're just around different emotional energies that can leave you kind of lost as to where you are. And you just have a lot of faith and love that you're where you're supposed to be and you're doing the right thing. And you check yourself. I mean, I never do anything overly confident. I mean, there's always a little bit of, did I do that right? You know, I'm always self-checking. And I mean, maybe that's not everyone's personality. Maybe that's a bad thing for me. But I never feel so confident that, oh, yeah, I got this. I just don't, you know. But I think that's good because it makes me look at me all the time. I'm always willing to adjust me in a good way. Is there any kind of film that you haven't done that you would like to do? A genre? I'd like to do a musical Mm. I'd be happy to do a um, another period piece. There's a film where the director is talking to me, and I'd love the work that it would come about on this one, and I'd really, really love to do it. Very stylized, period, but yet very stylized, very freedom, you know, kind of feels like a little Boz Lerman stuff in there. Um, it's It's deep into it. There's just a few cast members before it's all completely done, and... You know, we've we've been somewhat working on it along the way. It's a little, you know, you think about it, but I realize in this process is that I think about it, but I can't really go anywhere with it because until I'm immersed, I'm not there. And it's made me kind of understand that bit about me that the project is what I begin to wear. You know, I get immersed within the project and everything about it, and then the answers come. They kind of don't come in my head like, oh, I'm going to do this and this. And every time you try to decide, oh, I'll do it like that, I'll do it like that, it really doesn't work. So you kind of have to leave it open to develop as, you know, it's not just you, you know. It's like how they're going to perform and how they're going to be dressed and what the hair is going to do and what that other person is going to look like. I mean, all these decisions that you make, and some of them really do matter, are relative to a thousand other decisions that are going to come about. 
I think it's a working methodology some people have. Some people want everything planned out, everything that way. And there's other people that want to freeform everything. Just, you know, make it up as you go. There's not hard. too many people that are all the way extremes in each one of those on there. Usually so that people yeah. have a level of planning they like to have, but they also like to have a level of flexibility to be able to uh, deal with spontaneity and, yeah. and inspiration. I feel like that's me. I have, to, I have to be prepared. But at the same time, and I think that the best way to be flexible is to be prepared. And that way you have it. You know, my biggest thing, I mean, this is part of like me and my agent and my deal and working with everyone else. Someone else needs to figure out where I'm going to, like if we're working, like I don't care about where I'm going to stay. I don't care about my car. I don't care about any of that. I just got to, you know, I'm going to care about where's my trailer. (laughs) Who's my trailer? Who's in my team? Where's it going to be? How much prep are we going to get? Like I'm all about my space. I'm all about getting into that getting into my space and being set up and ready. I want to know what everything is. I want all my airbrushes out, like like ready to pull, because I find that I've never been in a situation where someone didn't say, hey, or all of a sudden you have to do something and you do not have time to go dig in your trunk and find it. Hmm. And I, I've never brought too little, I've never brought too much makeup onto a show either, ever. You know, I've never brought too many trunks and I bring a lot (laughs) and that's kind of scary one guy 10 trunks I know (laughs) and you end up needing something from all you know what I mean Mm -hmm. needing something from all of that what do you look for in the people that you hire to be on your team I really like a team that's happy to work together I don't particularly like that this is mine and stay away from it I don't I, you know, where it's like my makeup and you don't have anything to do with it. I look for team, I look for someone who still wants to see. Like, can you see? Let's look and can you see? There's nothing more enjoyable than to go to set with the makeups and to work with my team and let's watch it and go, you know, I think if we tweaked that or we did that, and I never think that we've arrived. I always think we can make it better the next day. I think if we're good, we can do better. I think if it was great, we can do more. I think that then maybe more is being happier, maybe more, you know what I mean? Like, um, I think that if I ever thought we arrived, I would be bored, and I want a team that's always moving. Where do you find the people? Gosh, I don't know. You know what I mean? I've had a lot of failures in my life. I've hired a lot of the wrong people. It doesn't mean that the people are bad makeup artists are not great, but I've put together bad teams before. And I'm. What's a red flag for you when you see something and go, that's. That it's actually great for people to hear. They always like to hear when I ask this question because they want to know what are those red flags so they can avoid them. So with the experience that you have, there's things that you see that like are red flags. You go, oh, that's that uh, they're doing this. This is really bad. Not a good thing. Something that you can correct. Not doesn't mean that they're a bad apple, but it's right. something you need to deal with. I think some of the first thing. How do I say this? Um, someone who says to me, "Just let me know whatever you need. I'll be outside." It's probably one of the things that we're not gonna, I'm not going to be able to tolerate that. Because if you can't see what needs to be done, then I'll have a team. If i got to get you off the sofa to work, I can't move you. I am not a makeup artist that's very good in the elementary schooling of stuff. I would never be that way. There are some makeup artists out there that are great to start someone from the beginning. That would not be me. Um, don't work with me if you're not – I mean – 
I'm more like, if we're college level, I want you to run with me. I mean, I know my authority for what has been given to me. You know, my authority has been given to me either by the actor or by the director or producers or both. And I take that authority well. My authority is not given to me because I'm breathing or sitting here. So I know where it stands. I want you to run with me. Let's make it better together. So you need to be in motion. And and I know to go, that's a really great idea, but we're not going to do it. And you can't be wounded by it because it's my choice. I will, I'm happy to take the hits from my team, and I also realize I get the kudos from my team. It comes to me, and I'll spread it on. <laughs> and it's what it needs to be. A thought, there is no such thing as authority stolen. Authority is only when you, someone has given it to you. So whoever your head of department is, the only authority you have is when it comes from them. You can't steal it. Because producers, directors, actors, they see makeup and hair as one unit. Mm -hmm. They see the makeup department as one unit. They do not see the individuals. If there is one bad egg, the entire group will go and not work again. So you can be the third in the team thinking that you're going to show that producer that you're the smartest one, and you won't. You'll just destroy the whole team, including yourself. If somebody wants to work with you, how do you like them to approach you? Some people are more emailed. Some are fine to be contacted on social. Some only want to meet them organically in person. Yeah, I think sometimes it just takes time. You know, I mean, I think the people who just, you know, you just have to wait for the right project. You know, you're looking for the right person. I mean, w when I did Bombshell, Richard Revelson was the right person, you know? You know, what? Richard's a good prosthetic artist and he's a good beauty artist, and that's what that movie was. And a good human. And he's a great human. So, you know, that was, Richard was my first call for that. I mean, I think I'm always looking for artists who have a fairly decent range at least like good at at least a couple of things. Um, I look for someone who not afraid to try. You know, I think one of the most scary things as a department head is having people in your team who who just want to like wing it. I mean, wing it happens. I mean, things happen. Things happen. Someone says, and then you're winging it. But you can't if if it's in the script, you have to prepare for it. You know, because something else is going to come up. And and I, you know, I want a team that's on it. I like when we're thinking together. I want to look across the room and we see the same thing. I want that little glint of, I got that. You know, it's both looking and seeing the same thing. It becomes relational. Mm -hmm. And it also becomes that team. And you know what? People notice. And that's when they see a great makeup department. And actors care. I remember very early on in my career, and I think this really sums a lot up for me. I was working with Ann Brody. Do you know Ann Brody? I know that I'm horrible with names, but I know I know her name, Ann. Miss Brody, yeah. She's from, she was with Donald Sutherland for like 35 years. And she's from England. I still keep up with her, by the way. And if there was anyone who was my mentor, it was probably Ann. And that's where I did the dermplast and all that kind of stuff. And learned it all through her. And I was working with... Um, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, but I was working with an actor 
I'll remember her name later. I was working with an actor, and Anne was the department head, and she's a very good designer. And I would say, hey, Anne, you come from a very American way of doing stuff, where I look at her, and I'm, like, giving her the eyebrows up, like, is this makeup okay, right? Because we would, they would have to age, and lots of stuff would happen through them. And so we did a lot of subtle paint aging before we got into other things. And Anne would come over and get behind my station and start going, yeah, I think that's really good, and then butt in and start painting on it. And I would just arrogant enough to like try to match her paint on the other side. She had a really good painting hand and I loved it. And this went on for a couple of months and finally I went up to the actor and I was like, cause I was beginning to feel like, am I not good enough? I mean, she's always butting in on my work. I mean, I just want to hit it right. I want to do a good job, hit it right and have her go perfect. But she's always butting in on my work. And, and it didn't feel like it was bad. So I go to the actor and I said, what do you think? I mean, does it make you feel like I'm less because we had become friends? And he's like, are you kidding? I finally feel like for the first time an entire makeup department cares about me. And then after the film was over and we became friends, she said to me, Vivian, I butted in because you took it somewhere and then I could see another place. And then as you started to paint, then I saw another place and I understood what she was doing all along. It's, It's like, you know, I started a base layer and then she saw the second one and then she would make it better and then I would make it better and that's exactly what the actor saw. And so I think sometimes we get too much into this is mine and my ownership of me being perfect and yet there's a lot of joy when you're when you don't go there and you allow for it to take on its life for the film because it becomes emotional to both you where you're building to the actor or actress who's sitting there and then that translates to the director because then the actor will go to the director so you know I was working in the makeup room and they did this and then I saw this part of the character I've seen it before so it really expounds and then it becomes to the screen and that becomes the satisfaction of it all you know what I mean because then you've added in a subtle little way because you haven't forgotten to see you know you're seeing you're looking it's it's not are you good enough but are you still moving? Thank you for taking the time oh. to chat. And every time we talk, I always have a good time anyway. And I knew this one would be a great chat too. This would be a very, very easy one. Well, thank you so much for asking me. I mean, don't get me started talking about makeup. I mean, I, I, I do love it. And I've had an amazing career, I have to say. You know, I mean, you look back on these things and you never orchestrate it. It, it it's it's something that there's a lot of humility about when you look at it. And I've had a beautiful career, and I hope to still keep in it. But um, and I've had beautiful actors and wonderful makeup artists. It's been a lot to learn along the way. And yes, I remember you. Strong Medicine was the name of that show. Strong Medicine. That's right. So <laughs> many years ago. I know. A long, long time ago. That was fun. Thank you for listening to the Makeup Artist Magazine podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. If you want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends. This show is available on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit us online for more great content at makeupmag.com. I'm Michael Key. Thanks for listening.